electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live in the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Jeff Mills. Ahead on fast, the S&P, the, actually, the hits to the supply chain just keep on coming. Today, an earthquake in Japan set to impact microcontroller chips used in cars. This new shock, the war in Ukraine and COVID, all highlighting the fragility of our global network for goods. How long will investors and consumers feel the pain? Plus, a miss from FedEx in the stock making some pretty big swings in the after-hour session. The details and the traders take just minutes away. And later, trade it or fade it, the All-American Edition. Is now the time to bet on stocks and make most of their money right here in the U.S. of A.? The names in the debate coming up. We start off the St. Patrick's Day show, appropriately, with a sea of green for the markets. Major indices rallying for a third day in a row. The S&P on pace for its best week of the year. And take a look at some of the growth stocks that have been soaring this week. Block, Robinhood, Shopify, all staging massive rebounds, up more than 20% since Monday. The IGV software ETF on pace for its best week since last February. Still with interest rates on the rise and inflation at multi-decade highs. Is it too early to bet on growth? Do we believe this rally that we're seeing before our eyes, Tim? It's been extraordinary. Nice green you're wearing today, Mel, too, for St. Patrick's Day. Uh, Well, you know, it's disappointing. Uh, This tie comes out once a year. Um, And and you've already made fun of it, so don't even look at it like that. So uh, we are 6% off that intraday bottom on Monday for the S&P. It's about 8.5% for the NASDAQ. It's almost 12% on semiconductors, which are the growthy part of it, but I think it's more a function of what was truly sold off. And and if you look at what was working today, it actually, though, was high multiple stocks, a crowd strike, a roadblock. And you pick your high multiple stocks, I bet it was up, and I bet it was up by more than 5%. So it does tell you that I think there's more risk onto the markets. And I think that's really where the extreme pessimism was, was in stuff that may not be out of the woods yet, but there's no question we were set up for a very interesting bounce. And that's the big debate here. Uh, is it too early for growth or is it too late for growth? Uh-huh. And, and I think on some level for some of those names, that's really the story. Um, but no, I don't think you should be buying those with two hands here. I mean, I guess it depends on what narrative you believe, because you believe the narrative um, that fueled growth <clears throat> stocks before care. And that is that the economy may be slowing and you want to be in names that have idiosyncratic growth that will grow no matter what. So is that what is feeding this rally this week? Well, I'm still confused from yesterday's rally, to be (laughs) honest. I haven't fully digested that. I think it was just, you know, as Tim said, things were really, really oversold. And you had, you know, people who just buying the dip has worked, worked, worked. Right. And so it worked again. I didn't do a ton of buying, just a little bit on this this time. But I think, you know, I don't look at the market as a monolith. I look at my specific stocks. And so I generally, in an environment of rising rates, I tend to want to be in ones that have lower PEs. And so that's kind of where I'm gravitating. I've had this long fang and short IGV for a while, which has worked generally nicely. A day like today, IGV is up way more than the fangs. But it's been a decent place to be in the last couple of months. I have to think about where would I unwind that IGV, right? Mm -hmm. Is it down? It's certainly, I would not, you know, it's well off the bottom. But is that something I should unwind right now? Because has the market digested this Fed raise? I don't know if the market's digested Ukraine entirely. 
stop. Because that seemed to me to be somewhat well, of a look at oil today. prices today, by the way. I mean, you know, commodity prices tell you that we're reassessing mm-hmm. that whole call. And that remember, these were commodity prices that were breaking out. Oil got back to pre-Ukraine levels. Um, and then as of today, traded up another 9% after a 29% pullback. Yeah. Jeff, what are the markets telling you at this point about growth versus value? You know, I, I think you have to be a little bit discerning with the, within each style, quite honestly. Like, if, if I look within value, for example, you know, I don't know that you want to be extremely cyclical. I take financials, for example. You know, they tend to peak relative to the market before rates peak. And I know we're all talking about being in this rising rate environment, and, and maybe we are, but I think we're actually closer to a peak in long rates, say the 10-year Treasury, uh, than a lot of people think. So I think you could top out in terms of relative performance in some of these value areas. But then I think about energy, for example. Yes, definitely overbought. It was some 40% above its 200-day moving average, but definitely not overowned. You know, I think a lot of investors are still underweight there. So I look at names like SLB or EOG, EOG like I talked about the other day, or Chenier. And there are opportunities there. Um, and I actually don't think it's too early for growth, too. Again, if you're being discerning within the style. We're actually starting to look at our overall asset allocations in our client's portfolio and removing the cyclicality and creeping toward growth. But it's not the super high beta, junkier <laughs> stuff where total addressable market is, is the only issue. I think it's quality growth. It's names like Nike that we've talked about or Microsoft or Amazon. We've recently added to Salesforce. Uh, and I mentioned this on our call earlier today. And as much as we love to hate the company and, uh, you know, generally I think investors hate it, you look at a name like Facebook. You know, it's down 40%. It has a below market PE. It has high margins. And they're certainly dealing with issues. But I think that's the kind of stock that can actually do well here over, say, the next three quarters or so. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's also how you perceive what growth versus value is. Some people might make the case that some of these stocks that Jeff had mentioned, like a meta, is, you know, is value at this point within growth guy. So it is a Anywhere. little bit confusing in terms of the overlap among these sectors. But if you are in Jeff's camp and you believe that rates are going to top out at just over 2% or we're closer to the peak than we are um, to the opposite, then, then that is supportive of higher valuation stocks, stocks that may trade at a premium. Yeah, well, I didn't go to camp as a kid. I was one of those people that uh, stay home and figure things out on my own. But that's probably for another show. And if you think of Karen's confused and, you know, she has three times the intellect that I do, what does that make me off the last two days? One can only imagine. But I'll say this. There are growth names that have secular tailwinds that are still supportive of the names that have come off considerably. And I'll give you two of them in the chip space. I think NVIDIA has sold off enough. And you had that reversal, I think, on Tuesday that suggests that an AMD I think just speaks to the same thing. A uh, little cheaper on valuation, but the same type of growth potential. So I'll go there. And I'm with Tim on the energy. Listen, you had clearly a blow-off top in crude. We talked about it when it happened. The pullback made sense for a number of different reasons. But I don't think it's over. So I still think you can find growth in energy. And I'll tell you that that OIH that had resistance at 245 forever, we spoke about it. We said buy the breakout above 250, traded north of 300. Right back down to those levels. I think you dip your toe in there as well, Mel. So, Karen, when you talk about value, are you talking, I mean, it seems like a more defensive sort of portfolio because the valuations are the valuations no matter what is the, the backdrop in the market. What do you look as the most defensive area within your portfolio given the market backdrop? Well, I, I like, you know, Guy's Facebook where he hates everything about it except the stock. I, that to me is very defensive. I mean, you know, it is below market multiple. Also, I look at balance sheets. Right. If we start to see credit markets get, you know, we saw they they seem to be a little better last 
day or two, but we started to really see some cracks there. So I want to be where balance sheets don't matter or where they're excellent. And so that's, you know, so to me, Facebook again, Amazon, Apple, um, and of course, Google. And so I want to see buybacks and I want to see low PEs, but growth. There's still growth there. By the way, I see almost green sweater. I know. Karen, it was so, green in yeah, the closet. That's, thanks that's better. for this right. thing. So I, I, I'm gravitating towards a United Health, uh, where I think I am getting decent growth, or even uh, a J&J, where I think I have double-digit pharma growth. And these are multiples. Look, United Healthcare, not cheap. Um, they're going to do about 22 bucks a share in 2022. So you can do the math on that. This is, this is a company that's already trading 23, 24 times. I think relative to itself, it should be trading at a premium relative to this marketplace, it should. These are names that that are obviously, to me, a function of also where the market is rewarding companies that are giving you consistency, are giving you pricing power. I think uh, if you listen to UNH at their last call, I think they were overly conservative about the COVID outlook. I think they've done a great job of managing expectations. And that's why the stock is well-owned. All right. Speaking of healthcare, drug stocks have been having a strong week. Shares of Regeneron, Abby, Eli Lilly hitting all-time highs today. Our next guest says this is a solid year for what he calls a boring group. Here to break it all down, Jared Holtz, Oppenheimer's healthcare equity strategist. Jared, great to have you with us. Um, Thank you. Who, Appreciate who, it. Who, who has been the buyer, do you think, this week? I mean, is it are, are they specialists or are they tourists looking for defense? I think it's probably the latter group, um, Melissa, if I sort of like had to guess what's happening. I think some of the stocks that have been doing really, really well in, in pharma and biotech alike are kind of not so cheap. They're somewhat defensive, um, but they're not value stocks. They're more growthy than anything else. And this group has done really, really well. So I think it's trying to find safe havens, defensive stocks. You guys just mentioned, you know, names that sort of had like these qualities that investors are looking for. And pharma and large cap biotech, for the most part, is giving investors that. Hey, Jeff Mills here. So we mentioned pharma, and I, I totally agree. I think you're, you're dealing from a position of strength there. It's not below the 200-day moving average like so many other areas. And healthcare is a place that we've been looking to try to find some opportunities. And, and it appears to me like it's going to continue to work, sort of this defensive growth area. What is the scenario where it doesn't work and you start to see the relative performance breakdown? I think it's just a matter of whether investors are gravitating towards growth or, or value. And I think pharma still has a value tilt to it. Um, there's obviously some components within that are not. I, I wouldn't really define um, Eli Lilly as, as value or Regeneron. And those are two stocks that have done really, really well out of the gate here, um, and particularly as of late. But I think anytime you get like a, a real growthy um, sort of rotation back into small and mid caps where we see investors sort of flock towards those areas. Pharma gets a little bit less interesting, maybe on a relative basis, but I don't think we're there yet. I I still think the group probably has upside from here. In terms of the smaller um, to mid cap sort of biotech names, Jared, we've had you on in the past um, just about how how unloved this group has been over the past what five years or so. So when you say large cap biotech, we, we get that that's mostly IBB. But if you take a look at XBI, for instance, what sort of backdrop do investors need to see in the market in order to get them back in? Yeah, definitely. This XBI has been maybe the most frustrating or confounding area in all of healthcare lately. Um, it probably takes a few things. I mean, there have been 352 biotech IPOs since 2018. So that's four years and, and less than three months. And we've seen, you know, on average, 80 plus IPOs. That's a lot of companies in one sort of complex. And, you know, you throw on another 400 to 500 that are publicly traded and all these private companies in the loop as well. 
there's probably an over um, like a glut of these companies that kind of have to self-fix. Um, and I think, you know, data has been very spotty. Um, don't need to get into all the details, but th this has been like a pretty poor period for clinical trial results on the whole. And then we've discussed this too, Melissa, and I think the M&A trade is one where investors are so keyed in on, you know, a lot of them own biotech just for acquisitions and the environment has been a lot slower than we thought. So I think some self-fixing, a lot of some of these companies sort of need to figure out who they are. The data's got to get better. And then I do think some deal activity would make sense. And just to sort of put it in, into perspective, the large cap pharma group we were talking about earlier probably has north of $500 billion to spend. Um, in my mind, investors look at the group and they're looking for top line growth. And if you can get that growth vis-a-vis -vis acquisition, we're probably going to see more of it. Jared, it's Karen. Let me ask you uh, to drill down specifically. Where do you come out on Lilly's Alzheimer's drug? How do you think this plays out? Well, you know, they just delayed it by a bit. Um, it's a very, very close call, Karen. I mean, I just wrote about this recently. I think when, when I look at pharma in general as a category, there are two major markets that I think can attract investors. One is Alzheimer's. The, the other is obesity. Lilly is literally the only company out there that gives you a call option, so to speak, in both of those categories. It's the only one. So I think even if you're not super bold up on Alzheimer's, and I truly do feel like it's more of a, of a coin flip than anything else, but if you're somewhat positively biased that they can get this drug approved and they kind of use a different uh, methodology to get it through the FDA and the pricing dynamic is decent, unlike Biogen's sort of foray into the market, then you layer on obesity, which is a massive epidemic, uh, global epidemic, obviously, then Lilly is probably one of the best long-term holdings you can have. Now, it's trading at 28 times earnings on next year's numbers, so it's double the, the multiple for the group. Um, but I think you kind of have to own it here long-term. Jared, great to get your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Jared Holtz of Oppenheimer. We put up his uh, long-term picks, Abby and Eli Lilly, J&J's short-term pick of Jared's. Guy, what do you make of these names? <clears throat> We haven't run from Lilly. I'll stay there. I mean, he's right. It's, you know, it's trading at close to 30 times next year's numbers. I totally get it. But if, they, if they're able to figure out Alzheimer's, to Karen's point, the holy grail in big cap pharma, I mean, the stock goes to $400 easy. And, and that's not hyperbole. Uh, I do have a decent memory. And I remember, I think it was on Monday, that Karen had Merck as her final trade. I'm with her on that. And we've talked about Bristol-Myers now for quite some time. Very quietly made a six-year high today. And I think there's still some room on the upside with that one. I'm with Guy. I think his final trade on Monday was uh, Bristol Myers. Mine was Merck. But I, so I'm long Lily. It's the most expensive of this of the space for the reasons he said. Right. It's the Holy Grail. Also, if you can, if if if. But it is a big if. We don't know. And then I also I like Pfizer and uh, Abby, which he also mentioned. Coming up, a red light for auto stocks sitting out today's rally as an earthquake in Japan deals the sector another setback. So which road is the trade headed down now? The details straight ahead. But first, we're all over the after-hours action. FedEx shares on the move after reporting results now down almost 2%. We'll break it down next when Fast Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. 
While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on FedEx. The stock is dropping um, after hours down 1.8%. The call just getting underway in a few minutes. Let's get to Seema Modi for the latest. Seema. Hey, Melissa, shares down about 2% in extended trade, as you just said. FedEx said its results were partially offset by the Omicron variant, which CFO Michael Lenz said caused disruptions to its networks and diminished customer demand in January and into February. Higher transportation costs and wages also weighing on results. The shortfall in volumes were offset a bit by the jump in shipping prices, and that ultimately helped revenue stay afloat. Average ground rates were up 9%, while express rates soared about 19%. Uh, Leadership, org structure, will likely be a topic on the conference call. FedEx recently announced CEO Fred Smith's son, Richard, who's been there for a while, as the next CEO of the express business. Now, analysts at Barclays this morning said they view the appointment as yet Another lost opportunity on the topic of diversity in thought. This, as FedEx continues to trail its peers in the industrial and transport sector, its market cap nearly one-third of competitor UPS. Melissa? Seema, thank you. Seema Modi. Tim, what would you make of the results? I think the results were fine. When I hear about an Omicron headwind, that's something that actually I'm happy to shrug off. When I hear about some of the inherent transportation costs, um, that's something I'm a a little bit more concerned. I think, you know, the wages dynamic, they talked about that. That's not difficult. Uh, You know, X some retirement and and pension commitments, 21 and a half bucks a share. You all can do that math. This is this is basically trading at 10 times, 11 times, which we know. And Karen, we talk about this all the time. I mean, is a trough multiple in FedEx something to get excited about, or is this one of these stocks you don't buy, you know, at the lows on trough? I don't know. Well, I own it, so it would be like buying it. I mean, to me, I, I agree with you. The thing that I always look at is how did they do relative to UPS? And UPS put up that great quarter, but it's worth keeping in mind UPS's quarter ended in December. This quarter for FedEx was January and February. So that was really the heart of Omicron. So if they I'll give them a pass on Omicron for this. Uh, They should make the year. We've already three quarters of the way through it. So they're just talking about this fiscal year meeting their expectations. I mean, this multiple, I'm still hanging on to it. Just as Tim said, I think it's value. Shouldn't we hear, though, on the conference call a little bit more about how uh, the Russia-Ukraine conflict is playing out in terms of business demand and, and international 
Um, I would think that there's, a, I mean, they already came out in the release and said they expect strong earnings growth in the fourth quarter, Jeff. You buy that? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think the good thing is that it was cheap going into earnings. And we all know that they're dealing with issues, and that's probably why, whether it's fuel costs or slowing economy or, or what have you. Um, but I think the price going into earnings is going to help. I think that's why you're not seeing it move too much to the downside after the report. And I, probably a good time to throw up the chart that I sent in, but I think this is particularly interesting. So I've been doing this a lot with, with different stocks and sectors lately, but I charted FedEx relative performance against the S&P 500 against manufacturing PMI, so a pretty good gauge of the economy. And not surprisingly, like most transports, the relative performance tends to ebb and flow with the economy. So I keep talking about this slowing growth dynamic. But FedEx has already lagged the S&P 500 by 30% since the peak in manufacturing PMI. So the question is, you know, is it more priced in in a name like FedEx versus, say, a Union, Pacific, a Union Pacific or one of the other transports? I think the answer is probably yes. So I would feel safe either buying or owning the stock here. Guy, your take on this quarter? Stock was just less than $200 a couple of weeks ago. So it's, I mean, I know it's not a big deal. It has rallied 10% in the amount of time. I mean, obviously the broader market. I hear what Tim is saying, but for Express is basically half the $23 billion quarter, half of that revenues ish are Express. And that's who's being put in charge. His son, I'm sure he's great. It's just an interesting decision. But you know what the problem is? The best margins they have are in freight. That's the smallest part of their business. And the biggest margins were not good. 5.8% operating margins. We're no bueno. So the only bullish case you can make here, which I've tried to make a number of times incorrectly, has been on valuation. I still think you can make that case, but the stock just can't get out of its own way. Karen, when you're talking about the differences in, in the quarters and when the quarters end, are you now extrapolating back to UPS, thinking that they are going to see that degree of headwind from and demand destruction from Omicron? Yes, I yeah. think so. I mean, it, would, uh, it seems likely. Yeah. So um, UPS had a fantastic quarter. I think they'll have a less good quarter, but they, they still seem to do it better, right? It's definitely FedEx has a roadmap for how to get there. But just really quickly, they, they both have pricing power. They've proven that. And, and FedEx's goal should be UPS's gross margin. Meantime, check out shares of U.S. Steel plunging after the company issued first quarter guidance that came in below analyst estimates. The company saying it expects earnings of two ninety six to three dollars a share compared to street estimates of three seventy seven. Guy, what's up with this? You know, Tim will echo this, I'm sure. I mean, from quarter to quarter, it's hard to make heads or tails of where mm -hmm. U.S. Steel comes in in numbers. I mean, they are literally all over the map. <laughs> I think in order to remain bullish here in letter X, which I am, by the way, you just have to believe that the horizon for them, the run where they have in terms of steel and steel prices, is going to last for the next couple of years. I do. So there's going to be noise around earnings. Go back and look at the last six, seven quarters, and you'll see similar. I think you just have to be steadfast in your belief that they're probably one of the better operated companies out there, and you have the tailwind with both demand and steel prices. And along the name, they have less exposure to auto. If you listen to these numbers, too, they, they also point out, though, that their long-term contracts are ridiculously profitable here. So obviously, with the price move higher in steel, uh, they talked about the backlog at Big River, which is as you know, significant as they've seen in a long, long time. This stock traded 90% up over the course of almost 40 sessions into this print, um, giving a little back. I, I think it's going higher. I stay long. Where are you in metals, Jeff, if anywhere? 
Well, I, I think particularly this stock, I, I like it. It was overbought, clearly, and I think that's part of the problem. But I do think that the breakout above $30 is meaningful. And you can see the moving averages turning higher, so there's certainly momentum there. I agree with Guy you know, that if you think the price of steel is going to stay high, then this is a good place to be. So I would be a buyer here on any pullbacks. Coming up, auto stocks skidding out. The earthquake in Japan giving another hit to the supply chain. So is there more pain ahead for the group? We're diving into this one next. Plus, a polo pick. Ralph Lauren jumping in today's session. Investors are giving this a try on. The details ahead. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Auto stocks sitting on the shoulder during today's rally. Ford flat, but GM, Toyota, Honda falling today. The weakness comes after an earthquake in Japan knocked production offline, creating another shock to an already stressed supply chain. Jeff Schuster is following the impact for LMC Automotive. He's president of America's operations and global vehicle forecasts. Um, Jeff, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. And specifically this component, these are components that are really only made by these manufacturers in Japan, manufacturers like a Renaissance, uh, Sony, etc. How, how dire is the situation in, in your estimation at this point? Well, you know, it's certainly over the last couple of years, we've obviously had a lot in the industry to deal with. It's uh, the situation is really a stacking of all the problems and, and concerns and risks. And this is just another layer on top of an already uh, fragile system uh, where we're seeing a lot of pressure on the on the manufacturing side of the business and that's really what's holding uh, back auto sales so uh, certainly something the industry didn't need at this point it is relatively limited but it is in the chip arena when you're talking about renessa uh, and auto chips are, are certainly a hot commodity right now i mean renessa we saw the impact of taking offline these factories when it had its fire Right. And Ford has already said that 80 percent of the production loss last year was specifically because of that. Um, how much longer does this go in terms of of it being offline to sort of make a serious dent in production forecasts? You know, it doesn't take long. Uh, I think if you look at the look at the j- just the uh, all the pressure on the industry as it stands already, and then uh, look at just what that plant produced. And as you said, Ford is a is is a one of the manufacturers that's uh, potentially at risk here. Um, just a couple of days can certainly have an impact. Uh, it's a short impact or a short term impact, but I think it's already a, a, a tough situation. And, and chips are certainly have been in very short supply already. So this is is something that uh, just adds that additional layer of, of complexity. 
the supply chain is held up as well as it could, I think, given all the all the risk and all the issues it's had to deal with. Um, but I start to question how much more can it deal with, uh, you know, if we keep stacking more issues on top of issues. Hey, Jeff, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. The other side of that is I, I look at the global auto sector and I say we're at recessionary levels. And I see so many secular themes and trends that are incredibly exciting, things the auto industry hasn't seen since, really, I mean, since the early days of Detroit. Talk about that, because these dynamics, I think, work themselves out. We talk about this all the time with other sectors where you can delay, but I don't think you will deny the ultimate purchase here. No, no question about it, Tim. I, th- I think when you look at the auto sector, um, you know, we look at it in stages, obviously. And, and the first stage is, is recovery from from COVID, from the all the implications around supply chain, and that is going to be pushed out. There's no question about that. We've taken about three percent out of our production forecast since the beginning of the year, uh, as these issues start to to transpire. But I think the the midterm and long run, I think when you look at that transition to electrification, uh, to all the excitement and investment pouring in in the EV space, and then eventually in autonomous, uh, you know, it, it is an extremely exciting and dynamic industry, and, and I think there's. A, a very strong recovery ahead. It's just a matter of when that really starts to take shape. In your estimation, what is the biggest pain point right now in the automotive supply chain, whether it be things like microprocessors and, and the earthquake taking offline, that production, or just the difficulty getting some raw materials from a place like Russia, palladium, platinum, rhodium, yeah. et cetera, needed for auto manufacturing? You know, honestly, that question is, it's probably going to be different for each of the manufacturers. But I would say if we look at it as an industry uh, as a whole, it's the combination of all of those events that have that have really created the 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 pain points and the trouble spots of just trying to get some traction in in inventory levels and production levels around the world. Um, I I think we're also getting to the point, at least in the U.S. and and in Europe and in other parts uh, as well, where you could start to look at that that balancing of supply and demand where the consumer starts to feel that impact. Inflationary pressures certainly have put the consumer at bay in some cases, pulled them out of the market temporarily. That They'll come back, but again, it's just a matter of when and, and uh, how quickly we can get pricing adjusted. All right. Great to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us, Jeff Schuster of LMC. Um, interesting, he, he mentions that the consumer could eventually feel it. We've already seen price increases, at least from the likes of Tesla. Um, BYD Automotive, the maker of batteries that go into EVs, has said that they're raising prices too, Jeff. It's not, it's not so far off here. We're seeing it now. We are. And I, I sort of dove down an inflation rabbit hole yesterday. We're writing a, a piece on inflation for our quarterly, and it was striking when you look at cars. I mean, it's used cars and new cars, but... Right now, cars account for 27% of year-over-year inflation. Over the last 20 years, it's been 8%. So, I mean, you're talking about a major chunk of inflation right now being driven by that industry. Um, if you were to pull out what's going on right now and inflation were to go back to what would be considered normal, you know, a percent and a half would come out of year-over-year inflation just like that. So just to, to put into perspective how important these supply chain issues are that we're talking about and connecting it to the real macro picture of what's the Fed going to do, where inflation is going to go, when you get these headlines, uh, it's not necessarily a good thing. And it's certainly making the problems that we're dealing with right now a lot worse. Guy, should we we be worried that we're going to be hearing about production cuts once again? Absolutely. I mean, I worry, you know me, I wake up worried. So, yes, it's coming. I mean, without question, I think you have to anticipate that. So where's this where's the next trade? The second derivative 
You look at AutoNation, which was making an all-time high, I want to say a month or so ago, traded down from 135 to like 102, reported earnings on Feb 14th. Actually, pretty strong earnings if you look at it. Uh, and you can make a decent case on valuation. You don't have all that much earnings growth, but I think you have some, again, secular tailwinds. So I think you can look at AutoNation here at the 118 level, looking to take out the prior all-time high of 135-ish. So I own GM. I'm concerned for those companies that have um, internal combustion engine exposure. That's really where they make all their money. I'm concerned that they finally get supply of SUVs online available right when they when the consumer for gas reasons, other reasons, but maybe gas. Remember, in 2008, that happened and that was pretty bad. So that that's kind of a fear why I haven't bought more GM. Coming up, all American trades with so much global risk out there is now the time to park some money right here in the States. We're hitting some names with good old game of traded or faded, plus the retail rise. Shares of Ralph Lauren climbing after an upgrade. So what's got analysts so bullish? we got the details next. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on GameStop. Shares are dropping right now, down 9%. The company's conference call, it lasted a whopping 11 minutes. Wow. Executives provided no guidance. Um, none of these traders here trade this, let's be clear. But, Guy, what do you, what do you think of GameStop? It's amazing that it's sort of, sort of hung, in, hung in there this whole time. You know, I think we've said, uh, all of us here and other people that do the show, we, I don't think any of us thought it's an earnings story, and we were talking about it on the back of that. But, you know, it's a question of, are you going to be able to squeeze out, apparently, the shorts that they're so concerned about? And I've said a number of times, I mean, given the volume the stock has traded over the however many months, I mean, I think the shorts have been long gone. So I don't know really what the trading story is anymore. And at a certain point, I think we would all uh, admit valuations and fundamentals matter. And I think we're in that portion of the GameStop story. All right. Meantime, shares of Ralph Lauren in Vogue today rising four and a half percent. J.P. Morgan upgrading the retailer to an overweight, saying refined casual clothing is the new normal. Tim, I'm going to go to you on that. <laughs> Mr. Refined Casual Clothing Guy. Um, well, I, I think it's a case back to work, you know, back to all kinds of things. And, and I think there's a slightly different approach. And I think it's a step up from athleisure. Um, but, but again, you're talking about a company that, that I think, like many of uh, the apparel folks, have learned how to deal with global supply dynamics, have gotten leaner and meaner, and come out of uh, a period like we just went through, a stronger company. The trend is certainly a tailwind. I wonder how much, you know, pent-up demand was brought forward already. And that's my concern. There was an interesting part of the piece which talked about valuation one, but also about a good geographic mix. They mm-hmm. thought that their heavy North America should be least imp- impacted. They don't have meaningful Russian business. China business is smaller than some others. So it's sort of an interesting piece. I liked it. I, I'm sort of playing it through Capri. I had sold some a couple of weeks ago um, just on fears of Russia, China, um, that one is cheap, too. I, I, like, I, I, I like value, so this falls squarely in that camp. This, for some reason, um, brings back memories, Guy, of sending you to a Ralph Lauren <laughs> store. Is that you tried on a bunch of outfits, use a special mirror or something like that? I, he needed one. You, you taped this whole thing. <laughs> Do you remember that? I mean, that's like the archives of Fast Money. I know. I, I know. remember some that was a lot of moments. fun. I mean, I had, some, I had some banging outfits for you millennials out there that use that term. 
I mean, we should put that video up on the CNBC website because that's gold, Mel, gold. Well, the guy is refined casual just by nature. He's not casual, nor is he refined. Jeff Mills might be, though. Do you have a trade on this one? (laughs) Not sure how I follow that up. But I I was actually thinking back to a show we did in December where Goldman actually did a double downgrade of the stock. And what they were talking about was really looking for brands that had strong momentum, kind of these idiosyncratic growth drivers. I don't know that Ralph Lauren is exactly in that camp, certainly not as profitable as, say, a Lulu or Nike. And Karen, I honed in on that exact geographic argument uh, in the note as well. And I actually think you can make a case there that's a little bit more compelling for a Lulu, for example, 70 plus percent of revenues coming from the U.S. And if you look at the valuations of Ralph Lauren, uh, Lulu, Nike, certainly different from an absolute sense or excuse me, from a relative sense, but on an absolute sense, they're all kind of right on their historical averages. So I would probably look elsewhere. All right. Coming up, four different stocks with one big thing in common. We'll find out if they're worth scooping up with a game of traded or faded. Plus, heavy metal, one of the world's largest uranium companies making waves in the options market. The details and Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look. It's a very special list of stocks. Dollar General, Caesars, Tractor Supply, and Kroger. What do they all have in common? Well, they all generate virtually all of their revenues right here in the U.S. So at a time when exposure to the rest of the world seems risky, we decided this would be the perfect time to play an all-American version of everyone's favorite game, Trade It or Fade It. So let's go around the board. (laughs) Everyone's. Everyone. Guy, uh, Dollar Gen, start us off. Didn't we used to have that great, like, audio, traded or faded? Remember that? I mean, what, are we just shelved that, too? It's really unfortunate. But I will say, I'll play the game right, Melms, traded. And you're going to say, why would you trade this name? They just reported a pretty miserable quarter, and the guidance wasn't great. You're right. It wasn't a great quarter, and the guidance wasn't great. But bad news, good price action, we talk about it all the time. You saw that today. I think, given the fact that it wasn't as bad as people thought it would be, Gives you the impetus to take out the recent all-time high. Trade DG, Melms. Jeff, what would you do? I'm going to take the other side of this one and fade it. You know, just looking at the chart, it's, it's a little bit in no man's land. And I just think from a fundamental perspective, you're going to remain in this challenging operating environment for a while. They've, they've had margins pressured a bit. I think it's the evolution of the sales mix. It's just been a little bit less profitable. I don't think the outlook for the company is necessarily bad, but at 19 and a half times, Definitely expensive relative to history. The one thing I will say that sort of feeds into my slow growth thesis here, but if you are looking for retail, this is a stock that tends to do better than broad retail in a growth slowdown. But just generally speaking, I would sit this one out. All right, let's get uh, moving here. Go to Tractor Supply. Tim, trade it or fade it? Yeah, I'm going to trade this one, wave the red, white, and blue, and and say if you look at those fourth quarter numbers and listen to their outlooks, you're talking about double-digit comps, you're talking about gross margins, and you're you're seeing pricing power. And and I think there's a good tailwind for this business. I I think the expectations were extremely low. And and coming out of here, if you look at the whole group, I think, you know, very strong tailwind. Karen? Yeah, I'm going to take the other side only because, I mean, they've had such a good run, and, and it's just a little bit more of a momentum thing. The bar is higher now, and so next time it would be more difficult for them, and only, only as a trade. Next up is Kroger Grocery Stores. Karen? 
Yeah, I'm going to fade that one also. I don't mean to be Debbie Downer, but I just think that the reopen trade, I could see that being sort of a macro negative for Kroger as people start to dine out more. They don't eat at home as much. They don't go to the grocery store as much. Although I I would say maybe inflation is good for them. But all that having been said, it's had a nice run. I would fade it. Guy, Kroger, trade it or fade it? I'm in a trade camp. Everything's coming up roses uh, for the state of Ohio, specifically Cincinnati. Kroger's hometown. And listen, they just reported a quarter and all these analysts that commented were citing the fact that inflation is works for them. It creates a tailwind, as Karen just said, 15 times forward earnings. They seem to be running their business better. Plus, Kroger delivers. They seem to be onto something there. So good for Kroger. Look, it's had a huge run off those recent, um, you know, those recent sideways action. But I still think there's room to the upside. I think Telsey advisory high in the street with a $60 price target. I think it goes higher than that. All right. Last but not least, Caesars. Jeff, trade it or fade it? I'm going to trade this one. You know, I think everybody is looking for these reopening plays. Where do you go? And I think this is a solid one. If, if you look at the chart, it held that $70 level, which I think is, is meaningful. And it gives me confidence that it can move higher here. And I think there are obvious tailwinds, COVID fading, things of that nature. But then also fundamentally, you know, it's sold off some of its non-core assets. It's focusing more on the U.S. business, which has been more profitable. So I think it's taking the right steps to improve the business overall. And I know that bears will point to high debt levels. Uh, I think that that's fair. But at the same time, I think there's scope to reduce those levels. They could offload some non-core properties. And I do like the digital business. I think that's ramping really nicely. I think they did something like $3 billion in volume the last quarter. So I think you trade this one. Tim, Caesars. Yeah, I'm going to wave the flag with Jeff. I'm actually going to trade it. And, and although I did the way this game is supposed to be played, I'm supposed to fade it. But no, I'm going to no, trade it with. You I, well, play the game, you play it's the not game. rigged. You know what? It's not rigged. The game's not rigged. I'm trading it. And I, I agree with Jeff. And I, I actually, the general. I agree with the general because I, I think the, the Las Vegas strip dynamic and opportunities are significantly underappreciated. I do think this is a reopening stock. I think the bloodbath that has been the marketing battle uh, in the online sports gaming is, is well flagged and i think it's weighed in and i think at some point you're going to have more rational players there meanwhile i think they're taking a significant lead uh i'm long DraftKings as well but i i, I do think caesars will uh, be a major player if not the major player by the way guy you went to those ralph lauren stores and used a smart mirror technology november 30th 2015 wow seven years ago come on <laughs> I know. It seems like just yesterday, right? Just yesterday. He was wearing bell bottoms. Do you have the video? We have that. We'll, we'll try and we'll try and resurrect this thing. Uh, coming up, Uranium Options, one of the world's biggest producers, jumping in today's session. That had option traders digging in. We'll bring you the details next when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Williams Sonoma. Catch the full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. And don't forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox with the CNBC Investing Club. Sign up now at CNBC.com slash join the club or by using the QR code right there on your screen. Meantime, check out Cameco Corp, ticker CCJ, spiking higher as the price of uranium goes parabolic. And that's got options traders mining for even more gains ahead. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike. Yeah, so we were actually talking about this exact name last Friday on Options Action, along with URA, the uranium ETF, of which it is the largest constituent. And people who've been following the space probably know 
that there was an announcement today that Caxton had taken a $250 million incremental position in a uranium ETF as well. We saw more than two times the average daily call volume in Cameco and the most active options that caught my eye, at least the ones that expire within the next 90 days or so that I thought were interesting, were the uh, May 25 calls. Over 4,500 of those were trading. Now, the stock was doing very well, so actually those were eventually in the money and traded for more than $4 a contract. The buyer of those obviously betting that Cameco can be above $29, which is the strike price plus the 4 bucks and change that they spent within the next two months. Yeah. And uh, Tim, this is all about energy security, even with nuclear. This was a day and we've talked about it. We you know, we had the URA ETF uh, leader, um, the guy who runs the ETF on our show talking about. But today's news, when you have the DOE, so Secretary Granholm's office pointing out that we need to supply aid to existing and future reactors in this country to be energy independent. These are the types of headlines that the uranium bulls, and there are many, uh, have been waiting for. And I think if you look for this as a trade, folks, you haven't missed an opportunity. In fact, if you look at CCJ or if you even look at that ETF, uh, you haven't even broken out of the levels uh, that you were at late last fall when I think there was also very good momentum here. A lot of uranium is enriched in Russia. So a lot of the world's reactors would be dependent on Russian uranium. If the U.S. put sanctions on that Russian uranium enricher, then obviously prices will go even higher. Uh, Guy, how would you trade the space? Uh, Tim, spot on. We had this conversation a week and a half ago, Mm -hmm. as he mentioned. And then the flip side of uranium, we were talking about lithium, lithium America, LAC. I think that was a $25.5, stock when we started talking about it. And that's significantly lower than its recent all-time high. So I'm with Tim on uranium, lithium as well. All these things are absolutely in play here. This situation, unfortunately, is not going to rectify itself, in my opinion, anytime soon, which should be extraordinarily supportive of the underlying commodities. All right. Mike, thank you. Mike Coe, for more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, we've got some special final trades in honor of St. Patrick's Day. Fast Money's back in two. As you know, it is St. Patrick's Day, so we've got some pot of gold final trades for you tonight. Let's go around the horn. Jeff Mills. This one's a little bit on the nose, I guess. I'm sure these miners are looking for their pot of gold. I know we talked about the chart a couple of weeks ago. We said it was going to go higher. It has gone higher. I think you get at least a 45. Guy, what is that sash, first of all? And then what is your final trade? <laughs> yeah, Look at you. you know, I, I'm doing Love this under it. slight duress. But, you know, I'm listen, I'm repping. I'm repping my Irish heritage, Meriden, the whole rig. So it says something like, kiss me, I'm Irish, or beat me over the head, I'm Irish. I'm not sure. <laughs> but Agnico Eco, Agnico, Agnico Eagle Mines, AEM Melms. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, so mine's a little second derivative. CVS Pharmacy, let's say you're hungover, you need a little, you know, anything, some water, some wipes. Also, for the train on the way home, CVS. <laughs> Tim Seymour. I just say slange, drink some green Budweiser beer, King of Beers. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. Happy St. Patty's Day. Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.